And I'm really excited about uh, getting to the teaching I have today. Uh, I think it's clear that we'll, we'll have to do this next week. But I'm also disappointed because <laughs> uh, I was really looking forward to next week's teaching, which is on the second coming of Christ. And uh, so I'll have to put that one off of two weeks uh, because we're just teaching through the Bible verse by verse. And I just know today's teaching seems so pertinent in our Sunday school class. Everything that was said was in this teaching. But I feel like maybe God wants me to sit on it because there's some other things. And then uh, we'll be all the better when we come back and, and get into the second coming, particularly with the events that have fo- unfolded around Israel this week with our, our president actually making stands that we have to protect the borders of Israel. I don't know that he ever imagined himself saying those words. Oh, my goodness. But our country's support of Israel is proportionate to our blessings. And uh, the, the moment we, we stop supporting Israel, uh, we are in big trouble. And we've actually seen event, events that have pointed it out. But here in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came <clears throat> and he spoke to them and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Surely, where I want to focus in on that, just for a few moments, based on my experience this weekend, and I have a wave of emotion coming over me here. I don't know what that means, and I don't know where it will lead. Maybe it's because I'm I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed for some of you who like structure a little bit, and you're disappointed that I'm moving away from our teaching today. Maybe it's because I have a heart and a desire that God does a greater thing and a belief that he's going to do that. Um, maybe it's because the Spirit of God's on me this morning. Uh, not that he isn't typically, but maybe in, in an unusual fashion today. Lord, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. I am with you always. Did you hear the word of the Lord there? I am with you always. What does that mean to you? You know? I mean, does it mean to you that means you will never have to walk alone? And and in hearing that, let me say that, you will never have to walk alone. Does that sound rather superficial to you? Because the fact is, in the reality of the battles and struggles that you face doing life on this fallen planet, that there are so many moments when you feel alone. Does anybody care? You know? I mean, if everything crumbles around me, will anybody Pay attention. Will anybody notice? Will anybody care? And Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Our, our speaker, who is uh, our, our new district superintendent, who presented me with these thoughts yesterday, uh, his name is uh, uh, Wesley uh, Smith. And uh, he told a story about a time when he was about Ten years old, that their family, three boys, mom, dad, in the car, they're going down the highway in one direction, 
when all of a sudden they noticed a, a man who had a woman against the car and was strangling her. <clears throat> so their car went buzzing by and uh, uh, Wesley's dad, Isaac Smith, who's another great leader, did a U-turn and went back. And mom's in the car saying, what are you doing, Isaac? We've got three boys. Let's go get somewhere. You know, I guess this was prior to cell phones. And let's get somewhere and we can call the police. But I guess Isaac was prompted and he didn't feel like this woman had enough time. So he went back. He stayed on the opposite shoulder of the road. He got out of the car, told his wife to, to lock the doors. And uh, he yelled out to this man, stop it, <laughs> let her go. Well, the man let this woman go. <clears throat> then he went to the rear, the trunk of the car and, and pulled out one of those lug nut wrenches that has four tips on it. You know what I'm talking about? Heavy piece of iron. And uh, started walking toward Isaac Smith with this lug wrench. Heavy lug wrench. And of course, the wife's in the car and she's really frustrated. Isaac, get in the car. The little boys are kind of scared for their dad. They're in the back seat. They're rolling down the windows and peeking to see what's happening. They're rolling up the windows. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of scared, not scared. The youngest one is like, yeah, dad, go for it. Because <laughs> he's not old enough to know what pain is all about. And the man continued to come toward the car. Now, keep in mind, that Isaac was telling us that as a boy, Isaac or uh, Wesley, the son, is a big guy and he played sports in school and all these things. And all of his uh, growing years, his dad would tell him, son, just remember, God is with you. Don't ever forget it. God is with you. And, and it sounded superficial uh, many of the times, but here in this situation, we have a dad who's standing outside of the car with a man approaching him with a, a lug nut wrench who has made it a point to teach his three boys, remember, son, God is with you. And he stands his ground and uh, here comes this man with a lug nut wrench getting closer and closer and closer as mom's in the car saying, Isaac, Get in the car and let's go. And uh, when he got within uh, six feet of, of Isaac, I thought maybe, you know, he's, he's, uh, dad's obviously starting to pray. And I thought that's a great time probably to get in the car and hit the pedal and get out of there. And he stood his ground. And this man, approaching him, let down the wrench and walked away. Is that how the story goes? Did I get it right? And the woman got away and Isaac was okay. And regardless of what was happening in this uh, perpetrator's mind and heart, coming at him with a wrench, he dropped the wrench down and walked away. But those three boys who had a dad who said, remember son, God is with you. Uh, didn't get a superficial teaching. They got a real life experience that God or that dad really means it when he says, remember, son, God is with you. 
Well, I, I just had to go up to, to Wesley yesterday and I had to say, you know, Wes, um, I just really appreciated your story about your dad teaching you that God is with you. I said, uh, my story is totally the opposite of your story because my story is one of fear. And I actually walked away from my family's faith because all I could see was fear and I couldn't see God making a difference in their everyday lives. And, and Les looked at me and he said, it's really hard to overcome that, isn't it? You know. And I just had to say, well, thank God I have a wife who has no fear. Because <laughs> that truly is my wife. But here we are, you know. Jesus said, God is with you even to the very end of the age. And when you read Scripture, you know that it's not a pretty picture of how things unfold in the last days. But here we are. We are in some very uncertain times, right? I mean, it seems as if our nation has gotten rather arrogant and, and has forgotten that it is the blessing and the hand of God that's been on us that has taken us where we are today. Now, does that sound like maybe something that's been overstated in our culture today? I mean, is, are you kind of tired of hearing that? No. no. One nation under God, indivisible, in God indivisible, <laughs> because He is the author of all unity, right? And here we live in this uncertain day. How come it is that there's no guarantee if you buy a house that it's going to continue going up in value? And how is it that people are buying houses that are going down in value? How is it that you don't know where to invest your money so that it can grow because our money keeps on disappearing? Uh, where, where do we find our security in this difficult day? And somehow the government has penned the term social security back in the 40s to give you some kind of sense of, of, of a confidence that lo, the government is with you even uh, to the end of the age. Social security. Where does your hope lie? And if you put your hope in social security, then you're living in the reality of just how secure government is. And so am I. God is with you. There's no certainty about how things are going to unfold tomorrow. There's no uncertainty about how they're going to unfold today. But hear it. God is with you. And if God is with you, you can have full assurance that He is strong and He's able. In fact, even to the point that... Uh, you can have full assurance that He's going to use the circumstances and the difficulties of life to do greater things in you and through you than you ever imagined. You know, the reality is that all the great stories of history are only the product of tragedy. And without tragedy... There are no great stories. And can we walk in difficult times with confidence that God is with us so that when everybody's worlds begin to fall apart, they're looking for something to find strength and an anchor in. And there you are, humble and depending on the Lord, somehow able to find a resilience and a confidence that's attractive to people that wonder how 
do you do it? And the best answer you can have is God is with me. That's what drew me to the faith. Pete Davidson, kid in school, had an amazing courage and confidence and all us kids wanted to hang out at their house because there was peace in that house and it's a blessing today to have people tell me there's peace in your house. Now, I'm not sure I walk with the same kind of resilience and strength that I witnessed in the Davidson family because as Wesley said, it's difficult to overcome when you've been raised in fear. But people, as a testimony of God, say there's peace in this house. So I just have to give glory to God and say, Lord, it appears I'm a little more courageous and a little stronger because I know that you are with me. And I just want you to hear that today. Whatever happens and whatever transpires in the days ahead, you are not alone. God is with you. And the test of your believing that is not an easy road. But let me assure you, God is glorified. And when it's all settled and done, He wins. God is with you. Oh, man. Doing okay? Does that do anything for you just to hear those words? God is with you. You are not alone in whatever you face and whatever you may face. It's not hype. It's not trying to pump you up. It's me trying to walk in the reality with you that God is with us. Such right. But the realization of it, so amazing. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Well, there's a second word. God is with us. And the second word is in 1 John. If you want to turn over there with me. If you go clear to the back of your Bibles, you'll find Revelation. You'll find Jude. And then you'll find the epistles. Of John. The second word is the word brotherhood. Todd Burpo, author of Heaven is for Real, friend of mine, Excited because his this book shouldn't even say his book the book <laughs> that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. I was so glad to hear God say this. The book Heaven is Real has now sold five million copies. It's in 33 different languages. There's uh, over 36 different versions of the book out there, 
the, the children's book, Heaven is for Real, is now uh, it's going to be out for Christmas. Uh, the first order of those books, because if you remember when Scott or when Todd first ordered um, Heaven is for Real from the publisher to get them out there, uh, they wanted him to print 35,000 copies that he had to pay for up front, and he was wondering, if I gave them to all my aunts and uncles <laughs> and relatives and friends, I don't think I can come up with 35,000. What am I going to do with this many books? You know, and uh, and so he's like, what do I do with this? And here he is now at five million. And uh, so the first order of the children's version is going to go to 250,000 books, first print. <clears throat> oh man, uh, the movie is uh, the, produ- the producer was actually there and spoke to the guys. I couldn't get there. This guy from Hollywood, who's a Hollywood big shot. What, what company does he work for? Uh, Sony Pictures. Uh, came and spoke to the guys. I, I didn't get there on time to hear him. And this is a man of God, right? Having powerful influence in Hollywood, right? And, uh, and, and Todd wanted T.D. Jakes to be in there with them in, in, in the process of this film. So the, the, the Bishop T.D. Jakes from the Potter's House in Dallas, Texas is part of this whole thing. And uh, I love T.D. Jakes. And uh, uh, why am I telling you this? Where was I going? The word is brotherhood, yeah. Thank you. This is a team effort, you know. This is the Holy Ghost show, not the Mike Descoli show. And uh, we're all connected in this thing so he can speak to all of us. Brotherhood, yeah. Uh, Todd said something really interesting. Um, that's, where, that's where I got on that because I mentioned Todd's name and then I had to get excited about how God's blessing us. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Uh, <clears throat> Todd said that, and please don't get offended by this, because there's a bunch of testosterone in the room, and it's men. I mean, this is a men's retreat that we're on, right? And I'm just bringing a little piece of this home. And Todd said that when the women rule the church, and it's fascinating, Cheryl, that you said there's no place for women in the church, because I think basically women have rule the church in a lot of ways, okay, when it comes down to what really gets done. Okay, Ron's over there saying yes, and if you could see him, you might be hitting him and saying, no, 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 you're wrong. Uh, but the church has become kind of kind of feminine, okay, and, uh, and Todd's described why it's become kind of feminine, and I, I, I appreciate the way he put it. He said, Women by nature are nurturers, okay? Now, I know that some of you are going to get really upset and saying, you put me in a box, I am woman, I am strong. And, but, but please, 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 generally speaking, okay, <laughs> uh, women by nature are nurturers. Yeah, and hallelujah for nurturing moms, right? Man, I, I remember when I was a little guy, sometimes I'd fall asleep on my mom's and she would rub her hands through my hair and I can still feel that sensation of my mom rubbing her hands through my hair. Wow. She's a nurturer. If my dad did that, I might have punched him. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but for my mom to do that, that was okay. Women are nurturers and men by nature are warriors. And uh, 
for brotherhood to happen for, for men, and, and so you can see both, because there are battles that need to be fought that the church needs to be engaging in, and it's not happening because the church has become largely a nurturing environment, and men are here saying, what, what are we, what, where's the war, where's the battle? And here's Todd Burpo, who's a fireman, right? He's the head chaplain for the firemen of Nebraska as he's writing this book that's gone crazy, and as he's pastoring a church, and as he's running a roster business. But, he, but he's a fireman, a volunteer fireman, and we know what that's all about in Estes Park. And Todd says that he, he's almost been killed twice in fires as a volunteer fireman. But he says when he puts on his fireman suit, is, is that a good word for that? Fireman suit, that he's just another fireman. He's just another man. It doesn't matter that he's a pastor. They've got a job to do, and together they're going to do it. And he says, it's amazing how in the course of fighting fires, brotherhood happens. In the course of fighting the enemy, brotherhood happens. And in church, we try to form all these nice little small groups. And, and, uh, and yet the question is, What's the fire that needs to be put out? What's the battle that needs to be fought in order for the dynamic of brotherhood to happen among men? Right? Yeah. And, and I'm listening to this, and of course it's like, man, Lord, I just, I just I need answers, I need help. What is the fire? What is the enemy? What do men go after Together and and yesterday one of my friends was telling me um, he'd been invited to a oh we have a church and it's just curious to me it, it happens to be a, a Wesleyan church it's in Atlanta Georgia it's called Twelve Stones Community Church they they recently changed their name it was Crossroads but because God prompted them they changed it to Twelve Stones that has become the fastest growing church in America and people are going there to be mentored. And in the course of being mentored by Kevin Myers, who's I've walked with, I want to say he's a friend, but I've walked with him and I've talked with him. I wouldn't say he's a friend. I wonder if he even knows, if you told him Mike Descoli, I wonder if he'd even know who I am. But when I met Kevin, uh, he was trying to plant this church in Atlanta and man, he was a power guy. I mean, he'd been in a very successful church in Michigan and so he had the strategy. He was on staff in Michigan, so now he's going to go down to Atlanta and plant this church. And he knew what was going to make it work. I mean, does that sound arrogant or what? And, and so he had the strategy, if we do this many mailings, if, if we do this, this much effort, then this is the return we're going to have, and we can build from there. And uh, he talked about how uh, the, the first Sunday they had only 100 people show up at this movie theater where they're having church. And he said... Fifty of them were friends and relatives that came from all over the country to be a part of this church plant experience. And then he said in the next five years, the church grew by 27 people. Well, he believed in this so much that he's maxing out every credit card he can max out to publicize his church so that he can have this amazing church. And now he's got 76 people. He's got thousands and thousands of dollars in debt and and he, he he just wants to kill himself and he went back to his pastor in michigan and he said and he said he got down the floor and he begged him please rescue me from this please take me back on staff i'll do anything and and his pastor bless his heart he just looked at kevin he said kevin 
you need to go back there and you need to trust God to see this thing through. (laughs) And in the course of that, Kevin became a broken man, all pride (laughs) put aside, and God began to increase this church to the point that probably today they have 12,000 in worship and uh, they're just growing leaps and bounds. It's not the biggest church in America but it's, uh, it's, it's it, in the course of this last year has been considered the fastest growing church in America. But the, the amazing thing to me about some of my friends who have been interacting with Kevin is that Kevin said, we realize as a church that the degree to which we minister to the weakest people and the least people in our community is the degree to which God increases us. Oh my goodness. Did you hear that? The degree to which we minister to the weakest and to the least in our community, God blesses us. Now, does that sound anything like what we've been learning in Luke? The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, right? And it goes on and on. The very least of these. I was telling the guys this morning, and I I don't recommend this movie at all. I'm not promoting a movie because it's definitely one I wouldn't want to promote, but I I was prompted to watch the movie The Untouchables, 1987, Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. And it's, it's, it's the story of my family's introduction to America, okay? It's The Untouchables. It's the capture of Al Capone, the bust of Al Capone, because my family was in Al Capone's network in Cicero, Illinois. And it's about bootlegging. And it's about Italians mocking this whole idea that you could prohibit people from drinking alcohol. Right? That's my heritage. That's my family. Right? And this is what's happening in this, in this movie. But they couldn't bust Al Capone because Al Capone owned the city of Chicago. Everybody worked for him. The mayor worked for him. The police worked for him. And every time an initiative was made, they, they would, uh, it would get messed up by someone inside of the system. Yeah, but Sean Connery, this old police officer, takes, uh, takes uh, Kevin Costner, this government agent under his wing, and says, you've got to go back to the beginning. And what he meant by that was we've got to go to the police academy and we've got to recruit our young officer. We've got to recruit our officers from there because these guys are eager to defend justice. And so that's what they did. They recruited guys out of the police academy and with those young men who were eager to do the right thing and not corrupted, that's how they busted Al Capone. And they didn't get Al Capone for murders and all the horrible atrocities. They got him for tax evasion. But the point of that is it was the very least who made the difference. Okay? And so the battle that I'm challenging us to consider is we have this whole thing that we're about giving life to people, identifying who are the people in our community who cry themselves to sleep each night and how do we bring God's kingdom into their world. And I believe that's a big part of our battle, that together there are people who desperately need the Lord that we serve. Okay? And, and what's fascinating to me in that, and the reason I shared that story, is because when I came to faith, 
the youth group that was instrumental in God using to lead me to the faith, they didn't know what to do with me. Because I didn't speak their churchianity. I didn't know their language. I still was crass and I still spoke like a man of the world because I hadn't met their Jesus yet. And they couldn't understand it because they thought if, if we just clean up his act, then he'll be Christian. Is that the good news of the kingdom? Clean up your act and then you'll be... A, I think that's the message the world hears. When you clean up your act, you'll be a good Christian. No, it's faith in Christ and the power of Christ that work in us that transforms us and we get the cart before the horse. But anyway, so I began to discover Jesus Christ and I got excited. And all of a sudden, this youth group is watching me grow by leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds in my faith. And uh, some of them resented me. I, I, I've had, I don't know how many people in my young faith come up to me and tell me how much they resented me, but then they had an awakening that God was truly doing a work in my life. And I say that because there are Mike Descoli's out there that can be impacted by the Lord. In fact, I would say since Jesus said you are the light of the world, you're impacting them right now, you don't even realize it, but you don't even have a category for them because they don't, they're not of the, of the political party association that you're of. They don't support your ideas of, of gun control and, and they, they, they think differently than you. Their language is different than you and you don't know what to do with them. But what you need to hear is that it's not the goody two-shoe little things that you know to do, but it's the power of Christ at work in a person's life that makes the difference. And that's what they need to hear, and that's what they need to understand. Yeah, but brotherhood, in this whole thing of brotherhood, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin... This is written to the church. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Oh, I want to back up. Sorry, back up to verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet continue to walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Now watch this. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship. And that's full disclosure right there. Full exposure, right? If we walk in the light as He is in the light, there we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. Now let's just stop right there for a minute. If we walk in the light as He is in the light. Walking in the light as opposed to walking in the shadows. Do you hear that? Walking in light as opposed to walking in shadows. But if we walk in the light, full exposure, it's there we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the shadows, there is no fellowship in the shadows. Yet somehow in the church, we've been deceived to know the right things to say, the right things to act, and we come together and we send the message to each other, I'm okay, you're okay. 
And consequently, we are not vulnerable with each other. And consequently, we walk in the shadows with our little secret sins, thinking if people knew what I was really like, there's no way they'll ever accept me. There's no way they'll ever like me. And there's no fellowship there. So what we do is we fellowship out of this pretense of who knows the Christian language and therefore can appear to be the most holy. And we never deal with the real issues that we struggle with, even to the point. Are you all okay? Is this way too real? Oh, my goodness. Take a breath. Even to the point, and get this, that when somebody messes up, the buzz in the church is, how could they have done that? And we act so surprised, but somehow have avoided the reality of our own vulnerability and our own struggle. And there is no fellowship there. There is no fellowship there. Something has happened here. I'm limping. Isn't that cool? I'm limping. Thank you, God, for putting a limp in my step. My toe right here is killing me all of a sudden right there. And it is so perfect for what I'm saying. Because we pretend and we want to minister to each other out of this mask of strength. Whereas if we can learn to be vulnerable to each other and say, hey, I'm with you. I understand. I'm here for you. I got your back. Let's be real with each other and let's talk about where we slip. You know, and, and if we get a little grip on victory, what's happening to cause that? So that we can all together become become a brotherhood. A real brotherhood. I've got your back. And brother, I love you because I love you because I love you. And it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what happens. I am with you to the bitter end. I'll even carry you if I have to. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Written to the church, la la la. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and the Word has no place in us. Because if we were without sin, Jesus would have never have died. If we didn't struggle with sin, then we wouldn't have so many things about Jesus can save you, Jesus will keep you, so keep your eyes on Jesus, keep walking with Jesus. That's our fundamental rule around here. All applications should only support the one, all eyes on Jesus. So it seems to me that there are two battles to be fought. The first battle is we've got to stop playing this game with each other because you and I are both fighting battles that we haven't been real about in the church. So how do we get a few people around us to understand our battle so that we're not alone in our struggle and so we can fight together so that we can have fellowship with one another so that 
we can take on the bigger battle, which is people who are desperately in need to know the hope that is in you. Yet instead, the best we can do is say, I can't wait till the rapture can come so that I can get out of this place. And in doing that, we have just wished billions of people into the pit of hell. So, Cyril, you've got 40 years. And you're going to be 100. So, thank you for telling us how young you are. Congregation. We've got from this point on. And then that's it. And then we're in eternity. We've got a war to fight. And some of us here, like when I was a young man, are going to determine, are going to say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to, yeah, yeah, huh, huh, huh. Man, I am so bruised from that 12-gauge shotgun. How many shells did I shoot yesterday? Oh, man. Man. Huh? And then we go away and do nothing. And then someone sits there and says, I can't do this. And then they go away. And God does something amazing. Who's done the will of the Father? This isn't just to pump you up so you can say, but it's to allow the Spirit to work in you so that the fruit is produced to move us forward. And that is the Word of God. Let's worship the Lord and let the Lord do what He will during this time.